0: Listeners, I have a very special announcement to make today. Today, we are rebranding to Maintenance Disrupted. As part of the rebranding, we are going to be giving away some special prizes. Get your hands on these prizes. We are requesting that you leave us some feedback, either on our newly launched website, maintenancedisrupted.com, or an audio file on Anchor. The link can be found in the podcast description or on the newly launched website, or by email at maintenancedisrupted@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Our first prize, in which Blair will announce the winner on next week's podcast, is a copy of Bob Latino's book, Root Cause Analysis, Improving Performance for Bottom Line Results. Today's episode of Over the Line, a maintenance disruptive podcast, I welcome Bob Latino to the show to discuss common hangups on getting RCA solutions over the line. The episode is full of great tips and learnings from a true champion of reliability. I certainly learned a lot chatting with Bob and I look forward to implementing some of his ideas in my day-to-day work life. Without further ado, here's your episode. Uh, Welcome, welcome, welcome to a episode of Maintenance Disrupted. We have rebranded this week, and Bob Latino is our first guest. Uh, Today, we're gonna be talking about uh, RCAs and how to get RCAs over the line and uh, stop them from falling flat in their tracks. Uh, I've known Bob for a few years now. Met Bob at the same place I met Blair, the SMRP symposium in Memphis, when we were at that weird pyramid. <laughs> That's right. So, had a few beers with uh, with Bob down there, and it, it's been a great relationship ever since.
1: <laughs> it's it's the it's the mortar between our bricks, right? <laughs> it seems to be. <laughs>
0: So I think most of the audience has probably heard you on the show before, back with Rob. Blair and I haven't had you on yet. Do you want to give a quick introduction of who you are and, and what you do? Why we should listen to you?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm trying to convince my wife of that. <laughs> 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 my name is Bob Latino, and I'm a CEO of a company called Reliability Center Incorporated out of... Uh, just south of Richmond, Virginia, uh, which is for those uh, friends in the other countries or just about two hours south of Washington, DC. Uh, We were founded in 1972 as a research and development group of a major chemical company and uh, founded the Reliability Center R&D Group. And Uh, based on the charter of doing research in the areas of equipment process and human reliability and essentially set up the entire infrastructure for a global reliability department that had not existed and uh, think about that because that was uh, nearly 50 years ago (laughs) and (laughs) think about you have you think you have problems now think about doing it before when nobody could spell reliability (laughs) much less (laughs) understand what it was yeah uh, i I
0: need to ask how different are the problems then that we're dealing with now? Have we well, learned think, from our mistakes?
1: <laughs> I think a lot of that is uh, the, 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 the. I don't know that the people have changed as much as the technologies have changed the people. Uh, because, you know, back then, uh, you, you may be doing your vibration program might have been a, a screwdriver and you would be, uh, you know, arguing about the brand, about how you were, you know, listening to the, the pumps through the screwdriver. Uh, but then then you you know a lot of people believe that you you reduce a lot of the risks when you bring technologies in and you know it's not as dangerous as it was before but uh when you do when you bring new technology in it may relieve uh, risks of of other things, but it brings in new risks so uh you know I, I think that uh, that's a fair question because. My father always used to say it, it was always uh, you know b- bearings and seals that were the problem fifty years ago, and they're still fifty, 50 years later. They're still bearings and seals the problems. <laughs> and <laughs> so even even though we have all these fancy new technologies,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and speaking of new new technologies, or at least a, a new take on uh, on old technologies, you've got Easy RCA, um, a new software that you and your team put together, and uh, do you want to give a quick plug on uh, on that new software you have and what it does and how it's different than what you guys have done before?
1: Well, uh, well, thanks for the opening for that, and uh, I'm going to give an explanation as to, uh, because, you know, we, we've been known, uh, we have a proprietary brand called the Proact Methodology, and uh, you know we 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 continue to support that, and uh, we believe that that's our that's our thing when when it comes to RCA, our preference. <laughs> and uh, but you know we, we did some research and found that you know we, we tend to find that our ProAct user base is a more sophisticated group. Uh, you know they, they, they work well. I mean they work at places like high hazard industries, that, that where their requirements are more rigid. And their, their RCAs tend to be have more depth and uh, breadth to them. Uh, but then we also realized that there's a hell of a lot more people out there that uh, don't use Proact than do. And, uh, you know, really I, I've tried to be a part of carrying the flag for the field of RCA as opposed to just a brand. So uh, what we did was, uh, and it was a strategic decision on our part, is to, that we wanted to make a product, you know, with Proact, you have to use the RCA uh, ProAct methodology in order to use that software as an investigation management system. But when you go to the Easy RCA tool, we wanted to make something that was uh, for that would conform to the way anyone else did RCA. Because when you when you look at it and and it's uh, brass when it gets down to brass tacks, you're sitting there. What is an RCA? Well, it's a bunch of blocks and lines. <laughs> about, you know, logic about, you know, this caused this to happen. So what we did with that was uh we said, well, why don't we just make something that's uh the requirement is that we're competing with post-its and craft paper in a conference room. So we have to make something that's as easy to do uh as post-its and uh craft paper. And uh then it it has to conform to any way that anybody does RCA and it has to make it easier and there's no training required to use it. So, we, I think we've been uh, pretty successful in meeting that requirement because that that, that tool is really, uh, it doesn't get much simpler than that. This is probably not PC to say, but if you can't use this software, you shouldn't be doing RCA. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I, I can definitely attest to that. I've been, uh, I, I was part of your beta trial and I, I'm using it now um, and, it, it really is. It's just if you can hit enter and you can hit tab, you're you're miles ahead of doing post-its. Uh, you've it saved s- some poor co-op students a uh, a lot of time <laughs> transcribing transcribing all my uh, RCAs and throwing them from sticky notes into a Excel template.
1: <laughs> uh, so. and, and you know, we I'm not an advocate, and uh, that's you know, I'm, I'm outspoken about this, that, that, you know, the five whys as a uh, RCA technique, I see it as a valuable problem solving technique, but its limitations would not lend itself to being the primary tool for a, a serious incident, a complex incident. So, you know, th- this tool will accommodate five whys, it'll accommodate uh, fishbone diagrams or, and variations of either of those, as well as going to the the, the complex type ones, and Proact will adapt to this too. So, I mean, I can use my own Proact approach in that tool as well. And yeah. you, if you're, you, you've been using it, you, you know the, that the, the analysis is only as good as the analyst anyway. Huh. So, I mean, if somebody comes up with a, they don't have a 5Y, they got a 1Y, I can't stop that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, it's, uh, but, but, you know, the, the tool will make you, allow you to make as good an analysis as you want or as bad.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's a nice segue into uh, into our main topic there and understanding RCAs, why they they often don't work, um, and then what we can do to improve our RCAs and get a lot of those recommendations and solutions over the line. So what are some common RCA issues? Like, I, I know for me, when I'm doing an RCA, I get bogged down a lot with a bunch of different Root causes, bunch of different solutions, and I'm just looking at the mountain of work involved in rolling out all of those. And you know, you get into the a bit of analysis paralysis type of idea with it. We've almost all overanalyzed it. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's your thought on that?
1: And jumping to conclusions uh, because a lot of the things that we find are the problems is that uh, did you validate what you found? I think that before I would get even to looking at the solutions, I would have to, val- you know, how do you evaluate the quality of an RCA? That's a huge problem to me because I don't blame as much the, uh, the uh, analysts who, who don't do a comprehensive analysis as much as I do the people that accept it. So uh, I find a lot of the people that are uh, in, in leadership uh, you know they they don't understand what it takes to make a, a, a quality RCA, so they they don't know how to evaluate it. They look at the conclusions, but they don't uh, evaluate. You know how how did you come to that? Do you have any evidence to back up your hypotheses, or was this a bunch of hearsay? Because if you don't get the the evidence side right, you're going to be implementing a bunch of recommendations that may not work.
0: Oh, and this might be a bit of a touchy subject for some people but uh i'm gonna ask the question anyways (laughs) um how do you get past this gut feeling like we have a lot of a lot of different people within maintenance and operations organization that feel they know what the problem is we need to do something they're driving ahead with a solution that has been unvalidated how do you counteract that what do you say to those people
1: well, you know that that's the kind of that's why I like a a, a logic tree as a graphical expression of, of a reconstruction, is because it takes away it's uh, the personal nature. It, it, it's it's you know it does, it's not a me and you type thing. It's that it's a collective thought. Everybody can see the same thing. It's an expression of logic of cause and effect logic, and uh, most people want to be heard. So when you're using a sticky note on that, uh, uh, you know, the the person that you're talking about may come up and, you know, and and act like nobody's listening to them. But when you put that posted up there that has their idea, their hypothesis on it, that now they now they've been heard. It doesn't mean they're right. But next to the other hypotheses that were also possible, it's up there. Mm -hmm. And now now comes the task of saying, well, how do you know that that's true? Because the fact that you've been here 30 years is not a valid form of evidence. It's it's not uh, you know hearsay can't fly as fact in what we're doing. Th- this is a an evidence based approach, and just as everybody else in this room, they're all, they're going to have to prove what they say. So if we're that vehement that uh, what we're talking about is true, it should be easy to prove.
0: Is there any situation where you would where you're going through an RCA and? you know, obvious best practice is to validate every every assumption or find a way to determine if each hypothesis is true. Is there a value ease aspect to that where just looking at, okay, this solution isn't, this isn't difficult to roll out. We have no idea if it's going to work, uh, but it did hit the logic tree. Um, is it worth going after? Like, do you think there, there's an aspect of that within there, and some flexibility generally within RCAs. Or um, should we be following more of the purist? Everything is needs to be followed, or everything needs to be validated. Sorry.
1: I mean, are you drawing a distinction between causes and solutions?
0: Ah, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess it's exactly that. We're we have well, that- we have a root cause or a hypo. Hypothetical root cause, um, and the solution is not a complicated solution to implement, is it worth the effort to, is it going to be worth the effort to validate that assumption? Or or do you think it's going to reduce the opinion or anything like that of RCAs by just driving ahead with a solution, even though it's maybe been unvalidated?
1: Well, I mean, the, the difference between, and this is all my opinion as usual, <laughs> between a root cause and shallow cause is, is primarily the evidence part as, as to, you know, what was, and you're not going to go do a full-blown RCA on everything. So you're the depth of an RCA on something that was, uh, did not have a severe outcome. You know, maybe it was, a, it was a chronic thing and, uh, you know, we deal with this all the time, but the, the severity is not there. Is that, you know, I might do a logic tree and I may take the shortcuts on the evidence because that's what takes most of the time to do in a full-blown RCA is collect the evidence. I mean, it's, it takes no time to sit in a conference room with three or four other people and put a bunch of post-its and, uh, you know, different colors on a wall and say, hey, look what we got. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the in, in, a, in a serious event, and a complex event, to me, the... Uh, You can't take the shortcuts on the evidence, that the the causes you find are non-negotiable because that's what people try to change your mind. You know, the evidence is what the evidence is, and this is what we concluded. Now, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. So in your solution, if you're going over there, then you would have uh, some flexibility in which which solution is going to be the most prudent for this cause. But I'm not going to change the cause to fit the solution.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really a great point, uh, particularly on the shallow cause. And, you know, I think, you know, I, I think the shallow cause for and going through un, unproven things, you know, that's uh-huh. I do feel like we get into a bit of a dangerous situation with that, where we start to rely and start to rely on people's opinions more, right. than, more than actual evidence.
1: And, and a lot of times, with that—that's coming from the pressure of management to say, "I want an answer." But uh, you know, the the real real question is, do you want the right answer? <laughs> <laughs> I'll—if I'll, you give—if you put a seven-day limit on this, I'm going to tell you something. It may not be right, but uh, yeah. I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> yeah, you you know, uh, to hit your other point, Steve, that a lot of people don't think about, but when you say you have, I have a whole bunch of these causes and then I have to have a whole bunch of solutions is that oftentimes, think about this in an RCA context is that say uh, laterally in a tree that you end up with uh, eight different uh, systemic causes, latent roots, whatever people want to call them. But when when you look in the context of that singular event, on that particular day, those eight things combined at that time to cause that bad outcome. So, and they, they, they happened in combination. So if I removed one or two of those, this is like getting back to the slices of the Swiss cheese. If I removed one or two of those, would it prevent that sequence from happening again? as opposed to saying I have to uh, have the money and the financing to go ahead and do all of them at the same time. So if, if you pull the key ones out of that, say, could that combina- – what's the likelihood of that combination of events happening again on any given day?
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I don't think I've thought about that properly when I've done them of, okay, if we can solve one of these, does that disrupt that, that tree? Does that disrupt that chain? And that uh, yeah, that's a really good point, Bob.
1: You you, you pull that out, and uh, you know the the test for that is you know pull it out, look at the tree again, and say if this didn't happen, would the rest of it have happened?
0: <laughs> yep, absolutely. So what what other barriers have have you been seeing to RCAs and getting some of the solutions across?
1: A, a lot of times, people they don't present it properly. I, I don't think that as uh, engineers people are generally good at making business cases because that's a fine. That's a finance thing because you are talking, you're talking to two different worlds because it's technical people talking to finance people. And, uh, there's a language barrier. It's like looking at, you know, a a Chinese dictionary and an English dictionary is it's a, we don't talk the language. So I think a lot of times we have a problem in communicating, uh, in those terms to the people that are going to say yes or no to something because they, they, they really don't care about your analysis in, in that sense is that, you know, it's what, what, what did you find? What do we need to do? What is it going to cost? <laughs> and yep. uh, that, that's the sell. And uh, when, when we're done in RCA, you, you, you take that hat off and, you, and now you're going to go ahead and you got to put a marketing and sales hat on. And I got, I got to sell what I found now. So I think that there's a, there's a lot of the uh, problems that we have is that we're not good salespeople. <laughs> and that we have to be able to learn how to make that uh, business case because they're, they're looking at ROI. They're saying, if, if we do this, you know, uh, I need to be assured it's not going to happen again. And how much is it going to cost me f- to not have it happen again? Yeah, absolutely. Did you find that in, in in your experience? Yeah,
0: it's, I am, you know, one of the reasons for me doing this podcast is is actually because I've, I'm very much an introverted person and going out of my comfort zone and understanding how to talk to people better and going through that process. You know, this is, it's all me developing myself in terms of trying to be able to talk to people that are not, are not technically minded, that are not in the same, don't wear the same hat as me. Uh, Because at the end of the day, I, I need to sell my ideas in my role. Now I have to, convince sites, uh, convince the operations. I work as a a central reliability engineer where not everything I do is guaranteed to go because I'm not on site to drive those changes. So I have to convince the people on site to do it. I have to convince the management that it's a good idea and being able to talk and tell the story is really, it's really key to me doing my job successfully. And, you know, I, I'm an engineer. I went to engineering school and, they don't help you with any of that. <laughs> right. They give you mountains right. of wor- work to do mountains of math to do. They never actually teach you how to talk to somebody. Um, oh,
1: it's, uh, uh, if This makes you feel any better. It's the same in the medical world. <laughs> they don't teach doctors how to have the, 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 the you know, just to talk to the patient.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you find the engineers uh, that get the farthest. Are the ones have taken it on themselves, either have maybe a more natural ability for it. There's not many of those engineers out there, um, or the ones that have worked on it and worked hard on it, or gone and have a have another degree that's a little more focused on that presentation aspect.
1: I'll give you an idea that that we we taught in our classes for 30 years, but nobody's ever done that I've known. <laughs> <laughs> is that, uh, you know, we, we, we tell them before you even get to writing any type of recommendations, is to go to whoever you're going to be presenting them to and say, can you give me a, a list of a recommendation acceptance criteria? <laughs> say, can you say, say, when I give you whatever I'm going to give you, can you tell me on what basis you're going to say yes or no? And it's going to be things like you know, is there a corporate ROI that has to be met? You know, do, do I need 100% return in a year? Does it, is it 50%? Or, you know, what what is it? <clears throat> you know, if uh, you have to tell me if there's any future plans, for instance, that you, you're going to mothball an area, I don't want to make a recommendation for an area that you know you know what's going to happen to it, but I don't. So I'm not. I don't want to come up with recommendations and, and spinning my wheels. So that that way if they were to give you that list and it would only be like three or four things that you would be able to write your recommendations around that list because you, because you would know that, you know, it's like, just play what are the rules of the game? I'll play by the rules of the game, but I don't know the rules and I don't want to give you stuff that you don't want. And I don't want to waste my time developing stuff you don't want.
0: Yeah. That's a, Oh, that's a fantastic tip, Bob. I don't know. I've never done that. Uh, I've never gone to somebody and and said, Hey, what, what do you, what would it take for you to accept this before I've, I've gone through it? I've always gone through a list of things, got a rejection and then said, all right, what <laughs> now, what, like, what what do we have to do now? So uh, being proactive about it, like that's, I guess that's the whole name of our, our, uh, our industry, right? Is being proactive and well, why not do it everywhere?
1: <laughs> I, I think that that's, I they they should appreciate it because they definitely in their minds are looking at, at, at when you present those things something's going through their head that's saying there's no way I'm going to do this or you know if I could get ten percent more out of this I I might do this you you just need to know what those things are and it seems perfectly reasonable to me that uh, I I don't want to waste my time and I don't want to waste your time just tell me what you want
0: well and I think it I think it'll get the, the people listening to the recommendations and making the, the final decision. It'll get them thinking about it too before, before you actually meet with them, what they expect to see. Um, get them to think critically about it and, and make it – when they go to poke holes in your recommendations and your, your method or whatever they're looking to poke holes in, they'll be more pointed and, and uh, have better questions to bring to you.
1: Well, while we're on the same subject of things that people never do that I teach, but <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the other thing that we do in there is say, you know, if you, if you, and this comes to the sales pitch of recommendations, but, you know, if I go in and, and say I come up with uh, 10 recommendations out of an RCA, and I present them all at once, and it makes it look like the, the, they're all equivalent in, in, the, in, their, in their weight, is that, I, you know, we have to do all of these at the same time. Uh, that, that that's a lot to throw on somebody because in bulk, it, it looks too much. So, you know, we, we advocate something called an impact effort priority matrix. matrix. And if you can envision, it's only a, a three by three table, three, uh, nine total blocks. And on one, on your X axis, you have uh, impact. And then on your Y axis, you have effort. And you it's only a one, three, five scale. And then you go to each of your recommendations and then you say, well, if I was able to uh, implement this, what would be the impact, you know, for the, uh, as the RCA, you know, how much of the problem would go away and what would be the effort to really do it? So if you go ahead and you put each of those, you you rate them all on the impact and the effort to do it, and then you put them on that table, you're going to start off with the high impact, low effort stuff. So what it does is it breaks those 10 down into a a schedule, a timeline of when we should be able to go ahead and do these things. It's not, it's not 10 things at once. Let's get started with these three and then go to the next quadrant. And it's these two. So that that gives you a way of breaking it up and it doesn't look like it's as, uh, uh, you know, burdensome to the people that you're presenting it to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head there with the um, you show the impact, you show, you show the effort, you give that schedule and then it's a lot more digestible for the person that's actually giving you money and you put mm-hmm. out your, your Gantt chart or your schedule of how you want to roll these out. Um, like, I think that's the one thing maintenance and reliability people are, are pretty good at is understanding right. the effort involved and timelines involved in getting, getting projects done assuming you don't get derailed by another project that, that rolls in. But uh, um, it's, yeah, I think that's, that's fantastic advice, Bob.
1: Well, and, and even when you do that, and, and I'll, I'm guilty because I do some of this uh, on purpose when I manipulate, <laughs> you know, I purposely try to manipulate people is that you'll, you'll throw a ringer in there. Say I, I put an outrageous uh, impact or effort on the thing and, because why do you think I would do that? Steve. Uh, knowing that uh they would disagree with it
0: uh, get the conversation going um
1: because i want them to change it yeah. because then then it's ours it's not mine yeah, once, once somebody changes that uh then it becomes they bought into it
0: geez. always learning bob this is great <laughs>
1: uh, uh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if i'm making any friends out there but <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, this is the nice thing about having a podcast and, and being a guest on the podcast is you can get on whatever soapbox you like, and <laughs> and, and nobody's going to bring you down. So, <laughs> well,
1: well, I mean, I think I hope everybody just sees that it's it's reasonable. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's it does it's uh you know you, unfortunately in order and the when you get on the sales and marketing side it, there, there's a lot of uh, politics involved in getting what you want. So you got to learn how to play the game, and unfortunately that's part of the game.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, and that's definitely something I've struggled with. I I listened to an audiobook on my many flights up to the fly and fly out camp and and one of them I what I listened to was called The Art of Negotiation. Uh and it, you know, it sounds like it's really centered around negotiating big deals, but it's really about negotiating in your Any day-to-day part. life and taking taking a lot of those tactics that you use and how does it give you the best outcome? Listening to that was one of the best things I've done for my career. It really helped me mm-hmm. understand put myself in other people's shoes, think about what's important to them, what's important to me and realize that, you know, a lot of the times they're not that different. And that's also key in asset management too. It's, you know, we're all on the same team. We all want the same things, so let's uh let's stop fighting each other and work together towards that solution. So yeah, that I, is. I think
1: that, that that's a good point because, I mean, uh, you, you have to establish one, you know, we're not adversaries, is that we, we have unity and purpose. What, what is that unity and purpose? You know, we, we, we both work for this company. We both want to have uh, the productivity and meet whatever KPIs we have, whatever goals are out there. So you, all you're doing is saying, OK, well, we, 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 we're on the same page as to what the goals are. It's just a matter of how we're going to be able to impact those goals. So we're presenting this. We understand from your side that you have to look at it this. This is what we've come up with. Tell tell us how uh, you know we can work together to make it happen.
0: Yeah. Well, and and you see it too with like uh, the memes that we put out weekly on on Mondays. The ones that get the best reactions are the ones that have the departments pitted against each other. <laughs> uh, like right. the one that was put out this week where it's the little girl and uh, she's, she's grinning and there's, she, the operations and she burnt down and then maintenance is firefighting. And like the response we got from it was so good, but it's, it's kind of sad to see as well that that's the reality that we feel like we're, we're against each other.
1: Well, I'll use an, an RCA reference for, for that. You brought it up, is that when, and when we talk about uh, making an RCA team, you know, what, what's an ideal RCA team? Well, I mean, I can tell you that if you put four mechanics on it, uh, that it's going to be operations problem. <laughs> and if you put four operators on it, it's going to be maintenance's problem. You put those two together and it's you engineers that are the problem. <laughs> so that that's why you have the diversity of a team. Uh, is that you You have all of those perspectives represented so that, you know, it becomes a collective solution and you, we're not throwing uh, stones at each other. Because uh, that's one of the biggest uh, learning benefits of an RCA to me is that, it, you know, uh, there's, there's a, a term going around now, but it really, an RCA team is a learning team, is because when the uh, When when the maintenance guy would say, "Well, you know, if they if they would quit uh, increasing the uh, the load on this, you know, we wouldn't have these problems." But then, then when you have the operator there and they say, "Well, we're doing this because we had this pressure put on us, and this client uh, this customer was complaining," and you know, when you understand the reasoning for it, it makes a lot more sense. Uh, Absent that reasoning, we we just throw blame.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I don't know if this has been the right thing to do. Uh, But when I'm doing RCAs and, you know, generally a lot of uh, the issues I'm dealing with where we're looking at obvious uh, maintenance related failures and component failures, and there's always an ODR aspect to it. But if I don't have any operations people, like somebody that comment inevitably comes up like equipment's being run too hard, this or this, I've been, because we don't have that viewpoint in there, I've been putting a pin in those is saying okay if we want to go down this road which i'm perfectly happy to we need to bring the experts from that group in um, you know it, it might lead to it probably highlights that maybe i'm doing more shallow cause analysis than proper root cause analysis but mm-hmm. at least trying to prevent those let's just blame operations for all our problems cuz you know it's they have their reasons for doing every doing what they're doing and it's not fair for us to dive in and make assumptions on what they're doing.
1: Well, and you gotta be careful too, because a a, uh, a, a progressive management, when you would if you would present an analysis like that to me, and I, I would ask who's on the team. <laughs> and if I saw, you know, it, it was all one-sided, that the, the, there was a heavy bias because of what that team was made up of, then it, it would uh, it would lessen the integrity of that analysis to me. Because I would say, you know, you, you didn't have uh, people on, the, you're casting stones at the other side, and you, they're, not, they're not able to defend it. So, yep. uh, you know, they, their perspective was not represented in that analysis for that reason.
0: Mm-hmm. And no. that's
1: what I talk about. That's what I talk about management's being able to, to quiz people about those RCAs. Because if you if anybody wants to improve the quality of your RCAs, educate the managers who are uh, the recipients of the presentations educate them in what to look for in a quality of an analysis, because the first time you go in and you pitch to a manager that's, uh, that's been educated in that. And, and they say, well, you know, did you, uh, did you have evidence for this? Uh, Who was on your team and that type of thing. And if they reject it for those reasons, the next time you come back, those won't be happening again. That they, they, now that they know that you're looking You know they know what they're talking about. Then uh, you're not going to go back to them with that same deficiency, and it's going to raise the bar of the RCA.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know that kind of brings me into my next question. So most reliability personnel are in are within the maintenance department. I know that's not necessarily best practice, but it is the reality of where most of the organizations are. And so looking at ODR related events and it getting the buy-in to get operations and other, other people involved in the RCA, what, how do you think we could go better about that in terms of being the maintenance department and saying, hey, we're doing this RCA. We really want you guys involved, but getting their buy-in because inevitably they're going to think, oh, they're going to want us to change a bunch of things. Um, and so the appetite is kind of decreased right off the get-go.
1: It might be a loaded
0: uh, question, Bob. <laughs> so,
1: I mean, I, I as soon as you said that, I was fixating on something that you've heard me say before, <laughs> is that the uh, I I have a clear divide as between maintenance and reliability in in the sense that when we set that up forty some years ago, that uh, it, uh, they wanted the, because nobody had heard of reliability, and they're saying, well, where do I put this on the organizational chart? And they were they put it naturally underneath maintenance. And uh, I'm not going to go into the long story, but <laughs> my, my father was the head of that group. And he says, well, why would I do that? He says, reliability is a proactive group and maintenance is a reactive group. So what if I put a proactive function under... A reactive one. Nobody will do any uh, proactive stuff. Mm-hmm. But if I'm charged, if I'm a maintenance engineer, and you've given me reliability too, I'm not going to do very much reliability work because the the failures of the day are going to consume you, and the opportunities are going to elude you. <laughs> so uh, from from that standpoint, uh, if if I'm trying to get most the the, the two people on the team together, I, I guess turn it around and say, well, let, let's look at if you're not here. If you're not represented on the team, then there's going to be people making suppositions for you. Yeah, you know, that's just like when you're in a in a team meeting and somebody doesn't show up for the team, and you're assigning tasks. <laughs> the person who doesn't show up gets all the stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that's a great point, and you know, it's uh, we have that conversation all the time, and um, and having them separate and that clear divide is is best practice, but I, you know, I really, I haven't seen it very many places. Um, I know a couple of mining companies that do it and, but it really isn't, isn't common.
1: No, it's not common at all. But I mean, when you look at it logically, it makes you scratch your head and say, well, why is (laughs) not Because, you know, if I, if I'm in in charge of tomorrow's stuff and I keep getting burdened with today's stuff, then you know you're not getting the opportunities for tomorrow. That's why uh, you know in those days we, they they were isolated. The reliability people had to be isolated from the day-to-day stuff in order to be effective for the tomorrow stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now the my next question, looking at sustainment of of change. So it's it's so easy to roll, to come up with solutions, implement solutions, but then as soon as the your foot is taken off the gas they tend to drop off. What are your thoughts on how we can sustain some of these changes that come from RCAs better?
1: Well, I think, uh, and that's a loaded question because you don't know what those changes are. I mean, there's a big difference between physical changes and then management system type changes. Yeah, fair Uh, enough.
0: Well, let's look at, uh, uh, like we we have the generic KPIs and what, whatnot, and you can track those. But like looking at something like culture change and it, your systemic root causes is something culture-related. Those are the hardest, hardest uh, changes to sustain.
1: Well, I, I I will take a whack at it, and I do have <laughs> opinions on it. But again. Not many people listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> You've
0: got my undivided attention.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think that, I think that uh, a lot of the problems happen when you have management turnover. Is that when you have these, uh, the, the fast trackers, especially, that they're typically only going to be there two or three years. Uh, and then every, everything that they implement, uh, the champion may, they're champions, and then they, everything that goes with them, uh, when they leave, all all of their initiatives go with them. Somebody else comes in. I'm the new chief in town, and uh, they they start over again. So I, I think that a lot of uh, what I see in that is that we have to focus on institutionalizing those changes. That they they have to be able to survive a managerial change. So if, if they if they if that if that means getting it into policy, if that means getting it into procedures. But uh, you know, this happens with us with RCA all the time is because we, we will have an RCA champion, and things will be great while they're there because they, they carry the flag for it and they have the passion for it. And then, and then you get the guy who comes in next who thinks five Ys is the greatest thing since uh, sliced bread, you know and, and then everything that uh, uh, like you know every, everything that the other guy built goes with him out the door because there's not a champion there supporting it. So you have to take the, those uh, processes that they had implemented for RCAs. You have to institutionalize it in the form of uh, procedures that say, this is the way the company is going to do this. Uh, so that when somebody else comes in, that they, you know, unless they're going to go ahead and wipe away the procedures, but that, that's how the operation runs. It, it's just the way we do business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think uh, I think a lot of that is that we have to take away the uh, the burden that's put on a champion. That uh, whatever they're doing that's right it has to be institutionalized, and it doesn't go out the door with them. Because you, you've heard me talk about corporate memory, and uh, the, the 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 problem with the baby boomers, all and which I'm part of them. You know, they're they're all retiring and uh, at a alarming rate. And if you didn't capture. Their, their knowledge in some fashion about how they solved problems, then, you know, they're, they're, gonna, they're, they're out in Tahiti drinking beats, uh, having drinks on the beach uh, because all, all of that knowledge went out in their head and it's getting soaked right now. But uh, over here, uh, back at the place, when they, they retired. Now everybody's back there. The failure occurred. And everybody's going, how the hell did Harry do it? <laughs> Nobody knows. That's why I'm such a big uh, advocate uh, on the RCA side of an in, uh, investigation management system because that's that knowledge base of understanding the cause and effect logic institutionalizes how those people solve problems
0: yeah and like I know I, I know in, in a previous job I was tasked with uh, setting up an asset management program um, and That program, that was one of the first things we thought about was, you know, how do we, how, you know, continuous improvement and RCAs are key to any asset management strategy, but you really need to internalize that within the organization to keep it going and keep it running past um, any sort of that management change. And, And I think some of those larger systemic programs is definitely needed. And I know your, your book, Root Cause Analysis, um, improving performance for bottom line results. I've got the fourth edition in front of me, but I think you're on number five now Um, has some, has some, I got
1: a pick. pick.
0: (laughs) There we go. Um, That book has a standard built in. And I know when I built uh, my standard for RCAs, I I took it essentially verbatim because it, it's a great framework to start for any organization, and you got to tweak things here and there, like uh, um, to fit your organization. But but it's right there. It's available. It's uh, like it's in a book. It was really inexpensive for for what you're doing, and it, it put the framework in to build that corporate memory and and around that longer term. Get past the management uh, management changes. Those, those change. Not sure if that was articulated well, but
1: <laughs> it, it, it was, you know, it's uh, the, the problem is you, you, you hear your uh, CEOs and uh, in the 10 K reports and they talk about, you know, what, what, what do you hear people say your greatest asset is in, in the company?
0: It's always the people.
1: Yeah. Until you go to that 10 K report and read the financials because the people <laughs> are a liability and your equipment is the asset. Yeah. So there's, and that's very telling because of the uh, there, there's not a value for intellectual capital in in our, in our current uh, gap procedures, the general accepted accounting principles. Uh, you know, there, there's not a uh, there's not a line item on your balance sheet that says uh, intellectual capital. So when when people retire, and you say we need to get rid of ten percent of the people. And uh, it's indiscriminate. So, you know, just get rid of 10%. It's not based on how much they know. <laughs> you're not saying that, you know, this, this guy's got uh, 60% of the knowledge, and, uh, you know, we're just saying we don't do that to equipment. You don't sit there uh, during a, when you're doing cost cutting and say, well, 10% of the equipment's got to go. <laughs> we only do that to humans. We don't do that to our, our real assets. <laughs>
0: Oh, it's always, hmm, this equipment was supposed to go? Let's push it another couple of years.
1: (laughs) So, you know, you you get into uh, that that whole uh, thing that I just went on, uh, tirade I went on was uh, about understanding the uh, value of intellectual capital. And I think that that fits into our discussion is that, you know, we we have to realize that just there's not a dollar value attached to it. So that when all of these uh, baby boomers leave, and you have that void, how much does that cost to you? That, that, that failure that they've solved before and, uh, and, uh, it's come back now. And, uh, how much is that going to cost you? Because the other person knew how to get, uh, do it, uh, at least for a period of time.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And, and I going not they... tell you when you, when you lose your champions and, and the, and the systems that they had in place that were working, because, uh, we, we've, track this over the years is that the same with reliability, when people get rid of reliability groups, uh, because, uh, you know, they were too reliable. <laughs> they were saying, well, <laughs> yeah, you know, we're doing cost cutting and uh, we're, everything's running fine here. We don't need them. So it, it usually will take you about three to five years before the infrastructure starts crumbling because, uh, you know, we stopped all of those preventive and predictive and proactive programs. And then, uh, then, you know, by that part, by that's, uh, by that time, the person who was on the fast track their they're, they're the three years are up they're, they're already <laughs> another rung up the ladder
0: yeah, yeah absolutely that uh those are really fantastic points, and it, it's the reliability roller coaster and you know you know it sounds sounds a little bit like with the with the baby boomers all retiring and luckily, luckily we have have a lot of them who are interested just love what they do and keep, um, and keep on, on working, but that's obviously not going to happen forever, but we're coming to this precipice of this roller coaster where we're, we're going to have this steep decline <laughs> as all, all these people leave this workforce and uh, building it back up again could be pretty difficult if we don't capture that knowledge.
1: Well, and, and, and even so with the, uh, the problems that with the shortage of uh, skilled trades, you p- p- people aren't going into uh, the the manufacturing sector, and you're not getting that uh, skilled labor that you're going to need to start to replenish. Yeah, that, yeah, that was all foreseeable. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't like anybody didn't see the this big bubble coming through the age gap, all these baby boomers coming through <laughs> the system. I mean, it was all foreseeable.
0: Well, in twenty thirty years, we'll have a new uh wave of quarantine babies coming, right, so <laughs> <laughs> the labor pool will be re- repopulated back <laughs> I hope I'm baby. here to
1: see it, but I'm not that optimistic
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's a fantastic, Bob you know, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I, you know, I always love talking about maybe some more sensitive topics with you. You've always got such great opinions and um never afraid to share them, which is absolutely fantastic
1: well i don't know that they're right but i'm willing to share them
0: <laughs> well i don't know they make sense to me when i'm listening so <laughs> we'll see the, yeah. you know as always the listeners if you know you want to poke some holes in whatever we're talking about by all means send us some send us some questions and we'll fire them off to bob and you know we can always uh we can always look at a q and a session where we um, Grab all of these questions and, and answer them in another podcast. So if you have any of that, just let us know. Um, I don't know. My, my hate
1: mail pile is pretty high, so it may take <laughs> me a while to get to it.
0: Well, <laughs> we can we can pick out the top themes, put it all into a word cloud, I guess.
1: We'll, we're, uh, we're, we'll do an 80 <laughs> 20 split of that. <laughs>
0: there we go. Um, you no know, Bob, uh, my last question for you is: We're we're just wrapping up. Do you have any anything you're you want to plug?
1: I. I uh, Typically, I just give our, our website, which is reliability.com. That's relatively easy to, uh, <laughs> to find. And the, uh, we do have a separate website for the easy RCA tool, which, again, is easy. It's EZRCA.com. And I, uh, if you went to Google or Amazon and just look up, uh, you know, we've got several books out on this. So the, just look up root cause analysis. And. I guess, Latino, and see <laughs> how many of those come up.
0: yeah, and if you check the podcast description um, and I'll also put it onto our our newly launched website, which you can check out at uh, maintenancedisrupted dot com um, you I'll have all these links in there as well, uh, so you can always find Bob
1: <laughs> I, I just sent you a, a couple of links to articles and and I actually did a a, a video a while back on uh um, an R- i did an rca on why rca efforts don't meet expectations yeah and that that's usually a good one to show your management that it, it's, a, it's a lot more than people just didn't do it <laughs> yeah so, uh, it, 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 it gets into that there was a lack of management expectations that were set uh you didn't have a you didn't have a champion you didn't support the champion all that kind of stuff
0: yeah and i know i go to your website all the time uh looking for for resources. And you post lots of great stuff on LinkedIn as well. Always, always putting out some fantastic things, asking the hard questions. Uh, Keep doing what you're doing, Bob. It's, It's so great for our community.
1: I appreciate that. And I want to give you some kudos because I know you're picking up the baton, you and Blair, and uh, that's greatly appreciated. And even what you you were talking about is that you're trying to come out of your shell. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm an extrovert who probably should be an introvert. (laughs) That's that's my problem. I I need to go back in the shell, but uh, you know, you all are doing a great job and uh, I'm thankful for people like you doing that.
0: Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. And hopefully not... It's not too much longer uh, when we can record another one of these podcasts in person, perhaps in an odd pyramid in Memphis or <laughs> some other <laughs> nice resort. Maintenance conferences are always in the best locations.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that the, uh, the, the beverages are, is the mortar between the bricks of these relationships.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Thanks for your time, Bob. And we'll right. be chatting with you soon.
1: Okay. Thank you. And uh, have a great holidays, everybody.